welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Support for this episode is brought to you by the Headset app. Are you looking for a simple solution for coach to catcher communication for the season that doesn't require bulky hardware in the dugout? Traditional communication gear can be a headache to set up and carry from game to game. But what if there's a game-changing solution? Introducing the Headset app, your new MVP in communication for coaches and catchers. Enjoy crystal clear, ultra HD audio without the major league price tag. It's compatible with any Bluetooth headset or earbuds. Say goodbye to tangled wires and extra hardware. Ready to step up to the plate? Download the Headset app for free today. Getting started is as easy as a home run trot. Create your account, invite your team, and start calling pitches. The Headset app is ready for download in the App Store and on Google Play. Swing for the fences and download today to get a five-day free trial. And for a limited time, use ABCA24 when you buy your pass for next season and save 10%. Find out more at theheadsetapp.com. Next up on the ABCA podcast is current Red Sox AAA bullpen coach and P3 throwing trainer Noah Junis. Junis is a Rock Falls, Illinois native, having played for Illinois coaching legend Donnie Chappell. Junis got his coaching start at Illinois Central College with another Illinois coaching great, Brad Kelly. After ICC, Junis headed to Tempe, Arizona to work at Push Performance, where he started to dive into throwing performance techniques. Junis then headed to St. Louis to work for P3. Junis has a number of MLB pitchers that he has worked with on his resume, including his brother Jake, Logan Webb, Shelby Miller, Sean Doolittle, Sam Coonrod, John Means, and Jackson Rutledge. Junis recently was hired by the Boston Red Sox to serve as their AAA bullpen coach in Worcester. Let's welcome Noah Junis to the podcast. Glad we're getting to hop on, man. Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I like I like doing the player development ones, too. I like the other ones, and I think that's why we get a lot of people to, to listen in, just because it's different. Um, try, to, try to schedule just different things each week, whether it's different coaches from different levels or player development ones. It's just nice to have a, a good mix, just because, uh, you know, the baseball community is so big. That there, there's so many parts to the baseball community. Um, and all are important. I mean, I think that's why our 
membership numbers, convention numbers. I think all that stuff has grown because of that. Because I think people just feel like they're they're all part of the the community and the tribe of of all of it. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I'm I'm glad that we're finally getting to connect too. I know you got a lot of mutual friends in the yeah, oh yeah. Industry and you know, you being in the Midwest a bunch, um yeah. obviously you know a lot of the same people yeah. and uh I've heard your name a ton and, and only good things. I so appreciate excited, it. Appreciate excited it. for that. Cool. All right, here with Noah Junis, uh Rock Falls native, but assistant director of pitching for P three. Uh we have never really talked to each other, but we have a lot of common friends in the baseball community yep yeah excited to be on yeah hey when's the last time you talked to donnie chapel uh i talked to him you know pretty regularly actually um talked to him pretty regularly uh probably twice a month or three times a month he checks in and you know we talk about his son and, and his development and um we have a couple remote uh athletes that he sent us from from the area rock falls sterling area that he works with so um we do still keep in touch pretty often he's a great person um always enjoyed talking to him and being in the area as long as i was you know people outside that area don't know much about him and that's why i brought his name up because anybody doesn't know donnie chapel's name dive into rock falls baseball there's been some really good players come out of rock falls Yep. A lot of rich history, Donnie. I mean, true, true goat, man. Like you're not going to find many better in the high school game than him. So I still think uh, your brother should have went to Iowa. (laughs) Jake, if you're listening, should have went to Iowa. Could have been a two way player for us. Uh, I think, I think it all, it all worked out. Yes, it did. It all worked out how it was supposed to. So it's funny. We were at NC state earlier this year um, as part of our college partnership program. And, uh, that's where he was committed out of high school. Yep. And, um, you know, they're, they're obviously saying the same thing, you know, I oh, should have came to college, you know, Elliot, Elliot's all, uh, you know, all over me about Jake, not, uh, not going there. Um, it, it never feels good to, to hear no, but it always obviously reaffirms what your recruiting eye is telling you when players that, that didn't come and didn't show up actually did well. It's still the best high school slider I'd ever seen. <laughs> it is. It, it is. And I'd seen some really good ones, but it was the the best high school slider I'd ever seen. Yeah, it's scaled it's scaled all right. He's he's throwing that thing a lot. So yeah. uh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, who were some of your other mentors getting into this thing for baseball? Yeah. Um not only, you know, Donnie having a great role model in him as as my high school coach and uh continuing to, you know, pursue this. Um after I actually dropped out of college, um, he gave me a chance to come back and, and coach on his uh, sophomore baseball team there there in my hometown, which was awesome. And um, went from there to ICC, Illinois Central College, where uh, Bear Kelly kind of took me under his wing and, and gave me a chance at the college level. And um, I still owe a, a ton of my career to, to Bear Kelly and um, him just you know, replying to a cold email I sent him and, and let me come out and hang out for um, a little bit as a volunteer and then eventually proving myself and, and getting the chance to be the pitching coach there at ICC. And, you know, my my career has just kind of taken off um, through the private facility, uh, private sector from there. Uh, Shout out to Bear, by the way, former Leatherneck uh, football and baseball <laughs> yeah. player. Yep. 
Yeah, Bear I always, mean, and I was there a lot, you know, whether it was high school events, you know, my brother runs Diamond Sports Promotions, so I was there a lot for high school events, but also watching ICC play. Bear always seemed like he would have been a good guy to work for, um, just because I, he always seemed like he kind of let guys do their thing. Oh, yeah, ton of ton of freedom and autonomy, and um, he told me that as soon as I took over the pitching coach job, like, that I could, you know, kind of run it however I wanted to, and um you know, that's gave me a chance to experiment and, you know, grow as a, a very young coach. Um, I was probably only 21, 22 years old at the time. Um, so he gave me a chance to, to fail forward and, um, you know, really learn a lot in that uh, year and a half, two years I spent with ICC. And, um, you know, if I could go back, I would, I would apologize to some of the players that, yeah, that I coached there for sure. But, um it was a great experience and like i said i owe um a ton of my career to to bear kelly for for giving me a chance and um kind of taking me under his wing and let me do my thing on the field and also uh you know taking care of me off the field we would go during covid we went over to his house every single sunday and um you know had some had some smoked meat and uh good camaraderie so uh, a lot of good times there in, in East Peoria, Illinois. With it kind of being your first experience there, where did you start when you got there? We all go through that when we initially get into it. Where did you start with the pitchers when you first got there? Yeah, when I first got there, they already had a pitching coach. Uh, Ryan Camp was his name. He played at, at Illinois State and had been there a few years. So uh, a lot of my time was just spent in the background observing at first. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in that, too. And just kind of seeing how things are playing out, how Bear likes to run his program, how uh, Camper liked to run his pitchers and how that intertwined with team practice and um, things like that, that I had never played college baseball before. So I didn't really know, uh, kind of the order of operations and, and structure that was set out, um, in that environment. And I think it was really valuable to just observe. And then whenever he, uh, you know, turned the reins over to me, um, I had taken the driveline courses and, and certification. So just kind of dove head first into that stuff. We put a thousand dollar order, which is a lot for a JUCO budget um, and plyo balls and, and wrist weights and weighted baseballs. And um, we got to work on, on, you know, uh, really well, maybe looking back, not as well developed, but trying our best to control workload and um, be able to hit those high intensity days to push some velocity development for some of these junior college arms that that needed it to, you know, fulfill their dream of playing at the next level, division one, division two, uh, whatever that may be. Had you had any experience with the driveline equipment up to that point before you took the certification? Um, no, not before I took the certification. No, um, just basically what I was reading that that Kyle and, um, you know, Dan O'Coin and, and some of those driveline OGs were, were putting out there, um, but didn't really have any experience like throwing plyo balls or, or anything like that. So um, there was some experimentation on, on my end, just like throwing the implements myself and feeling, um, you know, how that That's made how me we feel. did it too, all of it, us as coaches, because we were right in the initial part of that too. We were going through everything too, just to, try to figure out how to teach it, but how it felt. And yeah, you know, I, I bought in on it just from an arm fitness standpoint, 
um, not necessarily a, a velocity increase standpoint. It was more to if if this can allow us to stay healthier, I was all in on it. For sure, for sure, and I think that's always like the most important thing um, that you have to keep in your mind whenever you're you're dealing with athletes in the private sector or um, you know in the team competitive well. environment too. How did you connect with P3 then? So I worked uh, I worked at a private facility in Tempe, Arizona after um, I left ICC um, called Push Performance and very reputable uh private facility great people down there great strength and conditioning program uh they're some of the best in the business as far as strength conditioning programming um who's luke haggerty with he is x2 that's right but they were kind of combined at first too and they had just split when i went down there um but had heard about p3 from afar um Actually, uh, my brother's agent and John Means share an agent and John Means had had worked out here and in 2019, uh, you know, he wanted Jake to go to P3 and I actually convinced Jake to go to driveline. Um, but it's just been kind of funny to, to see that come full circle. And then I eventually uh, saw the opening for a throwing trainer here at P3 and um shot Josh Kiesel a, a DM on, on Twitter and, uh, had an interview and, you know, it kind of took off from there. The whole reason I wanted to come to P3 was to get my hands on some biomechanics, uh, data and be able to kind of dive head first into, into that realm and, um, you know, add another tool to my toolbox, uh, as far as being able to break you know, take data and make it actionable to players to get them better. The evolution of the facilities piece has been tremendous because it, it seemed it was the ranch and then Cressy driveline now mm-hmm. P3, you know, P3 for me filled a void that there was not there in the Midwest. There was like a big void in the middle of the country from a train, you know, people had smaller ones, but it just seemed like yeah. P3 kind of just filled that void that was in the middle of the country that needed that was needed. Yeah, I agree. And we, we hear that too, you know, um, we hear that from, from people throughout the industry too. So it's been, it's been awesome. And, uh, you know, ton of credit to, to Mitch Plasmeyer, Austin Miney, Forrest Herman, um, those guys that worked here before me and, uh, really, you know, Josh Kiesel, the, the founder of P3, Brian DeLunis kind of putting this place on the map and, um, and Cody now. Yep. Cody. I mean, they're, they're all, very, very, very good baseball minds. And, and I think the most important part of it is, is we're all baseball people first. Right. And, um, you know, throughout our experiences here at P3, we've, you know, become data guys, but we're always going to be baseball guys first. And I think that's what makes, uh, us very attractive to not only athletes, but also, uh, coaches throughout college coaches throughout the country that, participate in our college partnership program yeah justin foy went down there when he was pitching for me at western illinois so i i I liked that he wanted to go down there but it was good for me too because i'm like hey whatever they're giving you just make sure i can see it and so i was learning on the fly with a lot of that stuff too but i all of it made sense and what you what you sent um you know what, what are some of the you know when you're training a remote athlete what are some of the differences with remote training and then also the on-site training piece 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest difference is obviously not not being right in front of us every single day to have our eyes and, and hands on you to to coach you really um, effectively. But I think there's advantages to it too because we've seen, you know, people see it. You see it all over the place. You know, guys over coaching, and I, I think that's a a huge thing too. And you know, having that awareness of, uh, you know, when to speak up and and pick your spots on when to coach and when you might your coaching might actually be making someone worse. Uh, so that, that's something you have to keep in mind the higher level that you go for sure. But um, I think that can be a positive of the remote program a little bit is, um, you know, kind of avoid some of that over coaching. Um, and you're obviously always there for the athlete. The way we set it up is we do a weekly meeting phone call uh, for the first month. And then it's kind of as needed after that, um, you know, once a cycle or, or once a month, uh, depending on what the athlete feels they need. And I think that's the biggest piece of what P3 is, is really good at is, is meeting each individual where they're at in their development and creating an individualized plan around that, um, not trying to force people um, that come to P3 into our model or mold uh, we're always kind of bending our model and mold to fit the individual. Was Charlotte one of the first teams to use you all as a remote training? Yep. Yep. It they was, were, uh, uh, shout out Coach they were the, the very first, um, Robert Woodard, uh, great advocate for, for P3 out in the industry and, um, really great guy. Um, we're, we're, you know, just went out there at the beginning of the month, uh, kick off our, our fifth year working together, which has been incredible to see the the transformation um, from, you know, when they first started to, to what that program looks like now has been incredible. Um, and, you know, ton of credit to Woody. And, uh, you know, he, he's brought in the right guys too, right? He took Austin Miney from P3, took Eric McKibben, one of our strength coaches from P3. And, uh, you know, it's just really taken off and, you know, it's exciting going down there. They really value what we do and you see it in the players and, and how they react when uh, we come to town and, you know, they're all really jazzed up about it. I'm sure you've seen the videos. Everyone's going nuts in the background. Um, you know, they, they sort of use that mocap day as, you know, their, their world series in the fall, um, which is awesome. We see you guys PR in their mocap day all the time in, in Charlotte and, um, you know, it's really fun when that happens and the atmosphere is so electric and um, guys getting behind each other because they truly want to see each other succeed. And that's just a really cool culture to, you know, be a very small part of there at Charlotte. Were they the first school then that you guys actually went to? Yep, there's three. Um, I believe I don't want to misspeak because that was before my time here at P3, but um, I believe it was Charlotte. Uh, Missouri State and Notre Dame, I believe, were the first three. So the difference when you head out there, I mean, obviously remote training is different when you head out there. So is it just all assessment? Is it pitch design? I, what are you working on when you get out there? Yeah, and uh, again, kind of going back to my last point, you know, we're trying to fit what we do to each individual. And with the college partnership program, we're trying to – 
service the coaching staff in the best way that they see fit and tailor what we do to their needs and how they want to leverage what we bring to the table. So um, everyone we work with, we for sure do a motion capture assessment um, as well um, as some sort of, you know, table range of motion assessment, whether we do it or they have someone in place on their staff who can execute that and, you know, get us some of that information to uh, tie all the data together. Um, but the assessment piece is definitely the biggest part. And then some programs we're working with the coaching staff um, to write some throwing program. We're working to write some mobility corrective exercises for guys based on that table assessment. And um, some programs we're even writing strength conditioning program for them as well and working with their uh, performance department to um, figure out the best plan for these guys in the weight room to go along with what they're doing on the throwing side. What are some of the common red flags you see with the, the motion capture as far as what um, people need to correct? Yeah, uh, I sound like a broken record, but it, it, it depends, man. It's all dependent on the individual. And that's why we do such a thorough assessment because every guy truly is different. And um, the I ideal mechanics uh, for one guy, it might look a lot different um, than the guy next to him. So we're always trying to keep all of that in mind and, you know, explain that the best we can to each staff and, and player that, you know, comes to see us. And, uh, you know, just because your hip shoulder separation, for example, shows up, uh, you know, in the less than ideal range on the mocap, you know, maybe you're not structurally built to be, to have, uh, you know, big hip shoulder se separation. Maybe that's not the way that your brain and your body wants to naturally move. Um, so we're always keeping those things in mind and, and taking all of those things into account uh, when we're looking at these uh, motion capture reports. And because um, it is a risk reward thing too. You know, especially sure. if there's present velocity with command of pitches, then it's yep. like, okay, you know, motor yeah. preferences is getting, getting some play now, which I think that'll be kind yep. of the next thing that you see where we're starting to learn, like, okay, a kid, a player moves that way. And on base, you've been talking about it forever where, okay, there's some risk reward that, okay, if you try to change too much, they are going to regress or they may get injured where, you you know, that's yep. that balancing act of, okay, this is where they, they may be able to get to, but if they're, they're doing well now, that's kind of that, that risk reward thing. You know, you want them to yeah. continue to improve, but there's some risk reward with, with that as well. Yeah. That's what we tell everyone too. It's like, we're taking into account all the whole thing, right? Like it's, it's not just the motion capture and your mechanics. Like we have to take into account what kind of pitch shapes that you're creating after the ball leaves your hand. And then what's happening at the plate. What's the hitter telling us at the plate, are we having success or are we not having success? And, you know, that really is the driving factor of, uh, you know, whether we want to make a significant change or not. Um, so taking I do all like that following you on, on social media too. I think you, I think you handle social media the way that you should handle it, blending the facility side and also the competitive side. Yeah. And that's our, our whole thing is like, 
the end goal is to to get guys out. And that's all these college coaches care about is getting guys out and eventually like that leading to wins in the in the win column and eventually a regional berth, super regional and a, a trip to Omaha. Um, so that's always at the forefront of our conversations. And the more uh, context that we can get from these college programs, it gives us a lot better direction in our recommendations. Um, to and that them. goes back They're, to Coach Chapel too, because I mean, for me, Coach Chapel was as competitive as a guy as you're going to be around. Yeah, yeah, and you you gotta you gotta have those people. Like you can have the best stuff in the world, you can have the greatest mechanics in the world, but if you don't have that compete factor, then it's going to be tough to to get guys out once the lights turn on. How'd you connect with Logan Webb? Um, so he trained at the facility that I worked at in Arizona, push performance. He actually still trains there. Um, so when I first got there, he was kind of one of my first pro guys that, you know, other than my brother that I got to really kind of dive into and, and train, um, for an entire off season. So, uh, it's been incredible to see his development and, um, you know, we obviously still keep in contact. He comes to St. Louis uh, once, twice in off season. Um, what was he searching for when he came into the facility? Uh, at that point, um, he was kind of reworking his delivery to go from a like a flame throwing, trying to ride it guy to you know more of an east west that you see now being able to sink the ball uh, better than anyone in the world and. Um, just kind of dialing those movement patterns in and, and, and getting those shapes uh, where uh, we and the, the Giants wanted them. Um, ton of credit to, to Brian Bannister on, on Webby's development, um, obviously, but just kind of supporting their plan in, in any way that I could. And um, that's, you know, not an easy, a, that's not an easy transition, though, going from north to south to east to the west. So, you know, what were some of the adjustments he made to be able to get to that point? Yeah, it was a it was a lot of like, you know, mechanically changing how we load into the back leg and, and feel how we're loading into that backside. Um, you know, I firmly believe that, you know, the the delivery is a chain of 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 movements that build off of each other. So we got to get that first move, right. Um, and it's also a little bit of a mindset shift too. Um, you know, it's realizing that it's okay to be a, a 93 to 94 mile per hour guy instead of that 96, 97 mile per hour guy. And it's, it's tough to get past that hurdle at first. Um, everyone wants to, to throw gas and throw hard, but, you know, realizing that, the best version of, of yourself might not be that guy. And um, again, it's been just incredible to see uh, him kind of take off uh, in these last three years and eventually culminate in a, a $90 million extension. And um, I'm just incredibly credit proud to him of him being willing to make a change too. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of him and uh, you know, happy to be a, a very small part of his development and um you know the best part is just uh being able to be friends with them along the way and, and keep up with this journey these last couple of years as i transitioned to p3 um and obviously it was it was awesome for uh 
me to see my brother and him end up being teammates and, you know, get to watch both of them uh, play for the same team, get their work in together. And, um, you know, it's just an incredible, surreal experience experience after seeing all the work that they put in off the field uh, in the offseason. I mean, how has your brother's arsenal changed over time? Um. Well, I think the biggest change is uh, going from the, a four seam to a, a sinker. It's kind of revitalized his career the last couple of years, and um, you know, throwing the throwing his best pitch more often. Um, you know, that slider is obviously really good and garnered really good results his whole career. Um, so leaning into that and, and throwing that, you know. Uh, over 50% of the time he's in 2022, he became the first, uh, major league starter to throw an off-speed pitch, uh, over 50% of the time, um, throughout a whole year. So, uh, you know, it's paid dividends for him and, um, and that's, you know, that's really kind of opening, a pitch. opening up that side of the plate. That's uh, a tunneling thing too, right? Cause obviously his sliders, a wipeout pitch to the glove side where he, he needs to tunnel something that's going to go to the arm side that kind of looks similar coming out of the hand. For sure. Absolutely. And I, you know, the old, the old guys kind of knew that, but now with everything that you have at your disposal from a tech standpoint, you can tell that story a little bit better now, you know, for somebody yeah. that doesn't have anything on the tech side, what should they start with? What should they start adding in? Uh, as far as technology, just any of it. Where, you know, if you had, if you had a blank slate to start from, where would you start? Um, I mean, I think, uh, the radar gun is, is the, the easiest place to start as far as technology, uh, just to be able to get that daily, uh, feedback on every single rep you throw, whether it's plyo throws, whether it's catch play, whether it's, uh, you know, a compression throw or a pull down or on the mound. Um, you know, if you don't have any feedback to judge your progress, it's going to be really hard to um, come up with a good plan and, and stick to a plan um, if you don't have that that feedback. So I think the first place to start is a radar gun. Um, and then from there, I mean, there's obviously thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of technology out there. Um, but any sort of, you know, TrackMan or Edutronic as far as pitch design is kind of the gold standard. Um, I love the, the pulse workload monitor, uh, to be able to track how much volume and intensity you're applying on, on each throwing day as prescribed to you. Um, I think that's a huge tool too, to, um, build up the proper way and and know that you're you're building up the proper way and and getting ready for spring training or um opening day for a college guy in in march or a high school guy in march um those are kind of my my big ones um obviously knowing that not everyone's going to be able to go out there and afford a, a motion capture system um or even you know know where to start with that stuff so um, I those think are that's kind of been the, big, the best change there. now is guys are off the mound earlier. They're not really cranking it up at times, but they are off the slope earlier. I think the on-ramp process has gotten much better over time. I know we still have injuries, but I think the on-ramp process has gotten much better over time for guys. For sure. And, you know, with more 
more studies coming out that like flat ground and mound throwing is, is not all that different. Um, I think it's almost negligent to, to not get guys on the mound um, as much as possible, even in these early parts of the, the off season. Um, is there a shutdown time now? Craft. Is there a shutdown time? Uh, it depends. Depends on the guy. You know, some guys like to, you know, older guys who have done it for, uh, 10, 15 years, uh, throughout the minor and major leagues. Some of those guys have a routine built up that works really well for them. And that includes, you know, taking the whole month of October off or, um, even, you know, into November. And, uh, I think that's okay. Um, if that works for you and there's also guys who don't like to shut down at all, you know, those guys, we, we keep the arm moving and, at super low intensities, utilize uh, weighted plyo balls, weighted baseballs to still be able to imply uh, some intent and take the arm through a, a full range of motion um, without having those those big stress levels on the on the arm. I mean, when when guys have been shut down, I mean, is it still the old? Okay, we're going to start with fastballs first. I mean, you said Jake throws more off speed pitches now. When Jake is getting back into it. When does he start to spin the ball when he when he gets back into it? Uh yeah. Once we get into you know four four to five days of of throwing a week, um, I say it's okay for guys to start feeling that out. Uh, even if it is just on flat ground, I think with guys that do throw the majority off speed pitches, like you need to train that in the off season a little bit. You have to train your your elbow and your body to be ready to handle that and. Um, you know, that's definitely something that we've seen and a little bit of an adjustment that that I've made in my thought process over the last couple of years is like, if we're throwing 65% sliders, then we need to place an emphasis on that um, in the off season as well to prepare the the tissues and, and muscles around the arm and, and the rest of the body to, to execute that when the time comes in spring training and uh, you know, throughout the duration of, of 162 games a season, which is a, a very, very long, very long marathon. I mean, how many pens will they have before they get to spring training? Uh, I mean, usually try to get them, you know, six, 10 uh, between pens and at varying intensities, obviously, um, before, before spring training, maybe some live at bats um also depends on on what their organization wants them to be ready for too and um that's a huge part of all this too is the collaboration aspect and and everyone pulling on on the same rope in the same direction and something we're really big on and always willing to do is is connect with these organizations on on these players that come to us and make sure that we're all on the same page and have a productive conversation on what each of us are seeing mechanically pitch quality wise um, before we make any sweeping changes. I mean, what's a competitive offseason, competitive at-bat day look like for them? I mean, how many pitches? Is it on feel? You know, what's that look like if they're going to throw competitive at-bats in the offseason? What's it look like? I mean, because, by the way, winter ball is going right now, so there are guys still getting right. after it in winter ball right now. For sure. Um, I think typically what, what we do is – uh start out with just like a one inning by you know 15 to 20 pitches uh it is a different level of of stress when you get a hitter in the box even if it is you know 10 degrees outside and you're in the 
middle of a facility on a turf mound, there there's something about that hitter being in there and that competitive juices get flowing. There is a little bit more stress on the body. So we want to um, make sure that the, again, the body's ready for that built up through, you know, maybe a, an up down bullpen or a couple up down bullpens before he gets to live and then uh, progress the live schedule from, you know, one, one by 15 to, you know, a, a two by 30 or a, uh, up down live. So how does the recovery change that into as they start to ramp up? Um, there's more of an emphasis on it. Uh, it's again, just like getting, this is where like pulse becomes a really valuable tool and, and knowing that you are actually treating your recovery days, like recovery days is a, becomes increasingly important as we start ramping up the intensity, um, getting closer to spring training. And, uh, we just have to place an emphasis on that. And if we place an emphasis on it from the very beginning of the off season, usually by the time we get to those high intent days, guys have a pretty good feel for it. So it's about establishing those habits and routines uh, from the jump and emphasizing um, that on our end. It really helps facilitate that buy-in on how important that recovery process is. And when you have objective feedback, like the pulse workload monitor to, to back up what you're saying, that again, just increases that, that buy-in for the athlete and, um, you know, after we explain the importance of it, it's very rare that we have someone say, oh, no, I, I don't think I'm not going to do that. So, um, again, it's just about making, making it important. And, um, if you make it important, then typically the, the athlete's going to follow suit. If you have, um, a reason behind what you're trying to implement. Then what the lifting schedule, I mean, I, when, when does the lift schedule work? around their their bullpen days because i know every org does it different i'm always intrigued by which orgs do it different which facilities do it different you know when, when is that lift schedule mixed in with their throwing yeah i mean it depends uh depends on what time of the off season we're at um typically the the way it's going to go is the beginning of the off season we're gonna um hit it pretty hard in the weight room on a, a strength focus for guys that need it um, and then as we start to, to build up intensity and volume on the throwing side, that strength conditioning schedule is going to taper back a little bit, um, maybe cut out a day and then start moving things a little bit faster, um, move towards that, uh, speed or, or power focus in the weight room. Um, and then always making sure those, those days are properly matched up with the, the throwing schedule, um, how we see fit for, for that individual athlete and taking into account their feedback too, of what they've done in the past and what works really well for them um, is a big part of it too. Cause you know, that stuff matters. What are some things that motion capture show that you probably can't see by just looking at it? If you're look, going off that naked eye. Yeah. I think the most valuable thing that motion capture tells us that, uh, maybe our eyes can't or we can't see on video is the angular velocities of, of each segment. So how fast the torso is rotating, how fast the um, elbows extending, how fast the shoulder is internally rotating, um, the amount of external rotation or layback that you get 
within the delivery um, and then some of the timing metrics to, you know, when do you create the most hip shoulder separation? Um, how are you timing up those angular velocities within the delivery um, is kind of how we're looking at it and, and the things that we value from a motion capture's perspective, you know, always trying to trust our eye first and then use the data to confirm or deny, you know, what we're seeing and, and give us clues into, you know, maybe where to look um, further on in the report or in the data. I mean, do setup adjustments, like just even where they're set up on the rubber, do those things help? Yeah, hundred percent. Like, like I said earlier, you gotta, you gotta get the first domino right to get the rest of them to fall. And I think that starts with, with setup. And uh, I know you were just out at Maryland not too long ago talking about the motor preferences and um, you know, that all plays into it too. Um, you know, ideal, ideal setup um, definitely matters. And uh, if you don't get the setup right, it's going to be hard to get the first move right when you lift your leg. Yeah, I just the, the whole thing is is fascinating. You know, it kind of growing up around it to see where it is now and just where we're at. And, you know, for somebody that's maybe drinking out of the fire hose on all of this information, you know, how, how do you keep it simple when, when it's need to be kept simple? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing is just like trying to put it in common terms that, that you know, everyone understands. Uh, a lot of people get caught up in this old school new school um thing but the reality is like a lot of these old school guys like they did have it pretty close to right um and a lot of these terms that have been on on uh that have been around clint hurdle calls it in school right it's not old school or new school it's in school i think that's a clint (laughs) hurdle thing i'm in school yeah (laughs) yeah i mean that's a good way to put it because um you know, those guys were on to a lot of things and now we can confirm some of that, um, you know, with the data at our, our fingertips. Is it still a matter of where the ball is at, at foot plant? You know, when, when their foot plants, if the ball's in a good position, you know, no matter how they got there, they're still going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, and you can I disagree. Yes, like, again, no. I'm just throwing it out there. I, yeah. I fully yes. Know and that no. I don't know a tenth of what what people in this side of it know so that's why i asked like because that was always my gauge is if the handbrake was good and then when they got to to foot strike and heel plan if their ball was in a good position the rest of it we could probably live with yeah i i think it's it's all connected right so like the where the ball's at in space when your foot hits down like is definitely a like i said a direct uh, product of, of what happened, you know, before our foot got into the ground, um, and direct product of, of how we set up and, um, those things. So I think where, where the ball's at at foot plant can definitely give clues into, you know, what we can attack earlier in the delivery, um, to maybe get that arm a little bit more on time as, as people, um, say, I think that's one of the most common phrases I hear out there. It's like, Hey, your arm's late. Okay. Well, but like maybe his arm being in that position is, is right for him, um, in, in certain scenarios. And, um, again, it's all so individualized and trying to, to cater to, you know, the, the movement patterns that guys really should be in, um, and not having this binary, uh, good or bad type of model is, 
really like where the secret sauce is at, in my opinion. Seems like guys are drifting a lot longer before handbrake, and maybe I'm not seeing that correctly, but it seems like guys are getting gathered, but then drifting down the mound a lot longer before they break their hands now. Yeah, I mean, you see the baseball world go through these fads, right? And, uh, you know, a couple years ago, everyone's chasing induced vertical break, and you want to get to 20 inches of carry, and, uh, you know, we're altering mechanics to get there, and, um, you know, I think the the drift is is similar, right? Like, uh, some people think that the drift is the answer to, to throw hard, and um, there's no doubt that the initiation of the, the center of mash is center of mass is a, a huge part of the delivery and um, you have to get that right. But the, the drift is not for everyone. Yes. I, would, I would throw a disclaimer out there that the yeah. drift is definitely not for everyone. And, um, you know, I think you, you can look at the hardest throwers and in, in the MLB here in the world and, you know, some of them definitely drift, but some have a very. Um, we got all kinds of styles yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you flip on a big league game or college game, and that's the great thing about what's going on right now on the pitching side is you flip on a college or pro game, and you're going to see a million different ways to do it. 100%. And, you know, I think that just speaks to why we shouldn't try to fit everyone into this one mechanical model, good or bad. Um, there are a million different ways to do it. There's guys that weigh 280 pounds that throw a hundred. There's guys that weigh 180 pounds that throw a hundred and, you know, they get there in different ways using different strategies. Um, and I think we always have to be cognizant of that and uh, not take away some of these guys, superpowers, so to speak. What's the youngest age group you got coming in? Uh, we have a youth program. Um, so it's a, you know, fundamental um, basics of, you know, strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning and agility, uh, a lot of body weight stuff, uh, introducing them into the proper way to just enhance athleticism at that age for, for 10 to 13 year olds and um, introduce them to a little bit of throwing as well. Um, for a youth, a, youth coach that's listening in right now, what, where, what are the foundational pieces for you as far as when they first start getting into it? Yeah, I think the very foundation is just educating them on what a good schedule looks like and, you know, the the work that needs to, you know, follow just signing up for the program um, is a huge piece and probably the most important piece is just educating on what a good schedule is in the in the weight room and, and what really matters. And, and that's, you know, functional movement quality and athleticism before um loading a bunch of weight on a bar uh we want to be able to move um efficiently through you know very light loads uh before we just kind of add uh load on top of dysfunction so creating a, a robust athletic um young athlete is is more important than loading them up with a bunch of weight uh all the time and um I think that's something our youth program does a really good job of is introducing some mobility work and then also uh, general athleticism let them have fun is the, the other biggest thing is, you know, you want them to, to fall in love with the process a little bit and, um, you know, sustain 
and grow the love that they currently have for the game and not diminish that. Um, it's having cool when they're excited to walk into the facility. Like hundred percent. You see it in the youth camp setting. Like, you know, you're doing a good job with the youth camp when they show up the next day and, and they're like bouncing in to, to get in there and get after it. Yeah. And I think that's what we're always striving for in the, the private facility world for sure. Especially with those younger kids, it's just getting them excited to show up and um, creating an environment that, you know, fosters um, growth and, and athleticism and uh, a fun competitive environment. I mean, what type of homework do they have then for, I mean, any age group that you guys are working with? Cause obviously they, they may not be able to get in there every day. You know, mm -hmm. what, what's kind of the expectations of, of what they're going to do in the facility, but then also maybe what they're going to do on their own. Yeah. Uh, with the high school group uh, specifically, you know, we first have to know what we have planned for that week. So it's all laid out for them on a, you know, four to six week basis. So they can always look ahead on their phone and, and see what they have upcoming. And, you know, if they know that they're not going to be able to make it in for a certain day, um, we have to educate them on, on how to make that adjustment within their program or um, let them know that they are responsible for completing those workouts and being compliant away from the building when they can't make it in. Um, you know, it's not a, a magic pill that you just show up to, to the facility two or three times a week and all of a sudden you're going to gain velocity and get stronger and, and throw more strikes. Um, that's just not how it works. So, you know, making sure that we're very clear on that from the very beginning, what the expectations are as far as uh, compliance with the program to, to see the results that you really want. Is that seven day schedule then? Is there a day where they're not doing anything or is that active recovery day? They're still doing stuff. So they're basically on a, a day one through day seven schedule where they're, they're doing something through that seven day schedule. Yeah, there's usually, you know, off days built in there for sure, um, especially depending on uh, not only time of year, but also uh, biological and training age of the athlete. Um, I was an overtrainer, so I didn't I didn't like any off days at a hard time with an off day. I still do. I would say it's very rare that we um, put a, a seven day program in with no off days. If we do, it's usually uh by request and you know a lot of times we're we're denying those requests right with our older kids it's like okay like it's good for you to to take a day and and not think about baseball because those are usually the guys like you said the over trainers that that really care and they love training and they all they want to do is get better you know you got to pull the reins back on on those guys sometimes you know you can definitely overtrain and um and that's where the pulse sleeve comes into play too, correct? Because yep. it's like you can show yep. them like, okay, hey, you had you had a day or two off, you're back into it. Here's what it's telling you. Like that, that's where you have the concrete data and evidence to that. It's like, okay, this is working because you're fully recovered, and then your next training session was really good. Yep, and I think it it serves even more of an educational tool when like someone has a high intent day. And they, they do their high intent day. And then the next day they have a recovery day, or maybe the day before that they had a recovery day and the workloads are very similar. It's like, look, man, like we tried to empty the tank on this one day, but your day that you're supposed to be preparing for this is almost the same workload. You're exerting 
the same amount of energy. So like we're just digging ourselves deeper into this hole that we're not going to be able to climb out of. And, and, you know, unfortunately, usually the, the results of that is, is some sort of forced time off due to injury or, or something else. You know, for kids that have been injured or parents that are dealing with kids being injured, I mean, that, that has changed the, the return to throwing has changed immensely as well, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting a much like, I think return to throw is probably pulse pulse's biggest, uh, you know, use case. Um, and you're seeing it more and more throughout the industry and, um, you know, physical therapists buying into it, uh, organizations buying into it and using it as a, a great tool for a return to throw instead of the kind of the standard, um, it's a return lot of to throws throw. out of the sheet when they get back into it. It's just, you know, for me, when looking in that program, because that's all we had to, to do. And luckily, we didn't have a lot of guys get hurt. But that's what we had to go off of from the medical community. And it it just didn't make sense to me, the program. And because it basically was just like banging your head against the wall, where I, I think Driveline has done a good job with that on the return to throw piece, where there's a there's a better way to do this to get them back and also keep them healthy when they do come back too. yeah. I mean, it's just a, a better way to no, um, if you're actually progressing, uh, responsibly or, or not. And, um, again, it's just a, a huge value and probably provides the most value in that return to throw situation. And you have some really good examples of college coaches and, and pro organizations that work with you from a communication standpoint for maybe somebody in an area that's not getting that on either side, how can you kind of enhance those communication, that communication among all groups that are involved for, on a player development piece? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with, with, uh, you know, putting out more content on it, right. Just educating the masses, so to speak, um, you know, Wake Forest and, and Driveline and, and Cressy and, uh, us and and all those groups continuing to to push the needle and um, just educate people on why you know some of this stuff maybe is outdated and there there might be a better way now um, to to execute a return to throw program. It's just it all starts with education and and you know people don't know what they don't know and uh, they get this return to throw program from a, a surgeon who's you know, supposed to be like, that's who they trust the most because he, he is the surgeon. Um, so it's kind of educating some of those guys too. And, um, I know George Pilata here in, in St. Louis has been, been open to it. So it's been, been cool. For somebody that's really wanting to dive in, cause you, you, you're a good example of starting from a clean slate and building yourself up to where you're at where would be those kind of initial resources for them to start getting into it if, if they're start from scratch? Yeah, it's just uh, uh, reading, reading and researching as much as you can. Um, like I said, I started with some of those research papers that, that driveline put out and um, even uh, looking into everything that Wake Forest is putting out and, you know, following the the right people on social media, there's a lot of people out there who put out really good content. And, um, you know, you kind of have to be able to read everything and, and digest everything and have a really good filtering, internal filtering system to, you know, kind of take out, take what you like and leave what you don't like. Um, you know, there's so much information out there 
uh, it does make it a little bit tougher. It's daunting. Uh, it's daunting. Yeah, to, to dive in. And, you know, there's so many people out there saying so many different things, contradicting, contradicting each other. And uh, you got to have that filtering system. You just got to get your hands dirty, like get some athletes, train them, experiment, succeed, fail, learn. And, you know, eventually, like, if you have that that growth mindset and you can uh, accept that and learn from the guys who do fail, um, that's when your career and, and knowledge and um, just ability to, to coach and results are going to kind of skyrocket and accelerate. You know, with your experience now, if you did have an opportunity to go back to ICC and, and do it over again, where would you where would you start now? Maybe where you, you didn't start initially. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, kind of like we talked about earlier, like just trying to fit everyone into that, that same mold at first and, and getting everyone to replicate the the same movement patterns or trying to push everyone towards, uh, you know, high spin efficiency fastball and a high spin efficiency breaking ball. I, I think that's something that like with rep Soto at first, um, I definitely fall, fell into. And I think if you didn't fall into that, then, um, you know, in that 2020, 2021 range, like you're, you're probably lying to yourself. Um, so again, it's just, uh, a lot of trial and error. Do you have a fail forward moment? I mean, do you have anything you thought was going to set you back, but looking now it helped you move forward? Uh, I mean, there's been, been countless, man. Like you, you work with so many athletes in the private sector. It's like, knowing what I know now, it's like, okay, I, you know, I coached this big leaguer, uh, a couple years ago. And, you know, my recommendations were probably making him worse than, than actually making him better. And like, there's frankly just uh, situations like that all the time. And, um, you know, obviously a lot, a lot of guys got better too, or, or I wouldn't be where I'm at today, but, um, really taking those guys who failed and, and, and looking in the mirror at your own process. And um, again, it just comes from continuing to learn. And, um, you know, I have access to, to all this data and uh, all these great people around me and like still trying to, to learn to this day, right? Like I'm, I'm looking into all the motor preferences stuff and trying to wrap my head around that because I do think that is going to be a huge player going forward and, and can pro provide a ton of value for um, people with access to this data. Um, I think it's easy, again, easy to fall into that binary good or bad type of model, but, you know, just taking another step forward and um, meeting the individual where they're at and, uh, you know, optimizing. It's all gray area. It really is. That's why I do like the motor preferences stuff. Cause it is all gray area. It's like, okay, this is who this athlete is. This is how they move. Here's some prescriptions to allow them to accentuate what they are and who they are. Um, you know, you, we'd see it a lot, you know, I sent a lot of guys into professional baseball. We see a lot and they'd come back with 8 million different changes. And then you look up in the off season and they're, they're not better and they're actually worse and they get released. And, you know, that, yeah. that, that's the bottom line with that piece that I would have to relay to our players that went out. It's like, you're going to get told 8 million different things. You're going to have a coordinator. You're going to have your, your coach, whether you're a hitter or pitcher, 
you're going to have 10 to 12 different voices telling you 10 to 12 different things. So you need to make sure that you're good where you're at. And yes, if, if you feel like you need to make a change, but if you're rolling and you're putting numbers up, nod your head and say thank you and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. I mean, I, you, if you're rolling right and and you're healthy and, and you have nasty stuff and you command the baseball well and you get outs, I mean, it's there's a time and a place for sure, you know, when you're at that end of the road and – you know, maybe you are an, an 88 to 90 mile per hour guy and, and you get a bunch of outs, but you really want to make a run at, at pro ball. Like maybe we do need to yep. take an off season or two and, and sell out for, for velocity to give you a chance to, to hang on to your career. Um, and there's definitely situations that arise um, similar to that, you know, all the time where you do got to get a little bit more aggressive and, and change your approach a little bit, even if you are having you know good results for your level i give somebody a lot of credit that stays in it and just stays in it and stays in it because you know it gets frustrating for those guys and for them to be good with the external factors out of their control i have a lot of respect for the players that have been able to stay in it and continue and do it no matter what anybody's telling you they are still staying in it and they're they're the best at eliminating those external factors because it's not your decision. If it was the player's decision, they'd all be in the big leagues and it's not there. So they have to get comfortable with decisions being made out of their control They're, I think they're the best that we have as far as not being okay with it. Cause yes, you're competitive, but understanding that, Hey, that's out of my control and I just got to keep doing what I'm doing. For sure. For sure. You got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. So what are some final thoughts before I let you go? Or, or, or if I miss something, because this obviously this no. is I, I swim in the deep end when I get into this. So I do I do know that I do miss things. So if there's something I missed that we need to talk about, bring it up or you can just finish with with anything, too. No, I just I really appreciate you uh, having me on and getting a chance to chat with you. And um, do you just want to plug our our college partnership program and our, our remote program? Um you know, we had 13 schools uh, take advantage of, of our services this year. And, um, you know, we're, we're always looking to help uh, provide a, a motion capture or, or uh, assessment solution along with any, you know, programming or, or consulting needs that any school might need. And, um, you know, we're always willing to, to meet you where you're at and, uh, I saw you know, Charlotte kind of this fall. I saw them play are. this fall. They got arms. They do. And <laughs> they can pitch. So whatever you guys are doing with them, and I know Robert has a lot to do with that too, but whatever you're all doing with, with Charlotte, it's, it's working because I saw it firsthand. Yep. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, been a lot of fun. Added, added some high profile programs this year. So hopefully uh, see a couple of them in Omaha. All right, sir. Good luck with everything. Tell Cody I said hello. Yep, I appreciate it. I will. Congrats to Noah on his new job in professional baseball. He's a good example of surrounding yourself with the right people and also believing in yourself. Wish him the best of luck on his new venture. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee.abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the MyBCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. 
Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Wait for another